So as promised, uh, climate change, one of the reasons uh, that we are here, one of the central topics of our focus in this time, in this era. And uh, so we're moving into uh, our second segment of the morning with uh, James Barris, uh, who you probably are all fairly familiar with. Uh, James has been central to the transmission of the Dharma in the West, and most specifically here in the Bay Area, uh, starting many sitting groups and being a co-founder of this, or, uh, this beautiful place, Spirit Rock, and uh, author of a book called Awakening Joy. And uh, if you need some joy, I highly recommend it. Anyway, James is going to uh, introduce his co-presenter here, Bob Doppelt. Doppelt? Doppelt, yes. And they've, they're calling their segment, From Me to We, Five Dharma Principles That Could Save the World. So, James, Bob. It's, it's so um, heartening and um, moving to see everybody here and to have this day together. Um, I think this is a really significant day for us, for our community, for the greater Dharma community. just want you to know that uh, what you're doing here, uh, people know about um, far away, too. I got email um, uh, wishes from uh, two teachers in England, Catherine McGee and Chris Cullen. Tara Brock sent an email yesterday saying, I hope it's a really great day, really successful day. And their communities and uh, a lot of people know what we're doing here. And it, it is significant because uh, it's our community coming together Taking refuge in the Sangha, this is one of the three jewels, and I think if anything can make a difference, it's all of us coming together to inspire, motivate each other, get in touch with our caring, with our concern for the planet, and the more there's a, a kind of critical mass of people aligned with that intention, both in the Dharma community and, of course, uh, out into the world, then there's a possibility of actually making a difference, making a real difference. As uh, one friend, uh, a very wise uh, friend and teacher, says, we're in a, in a race between fear and consciousness. I think, uh, in the long term, consciousness always trumps fear. However, the, the question is, is there a long term? And uh, just what's the, what's the timing on this? So all we can do is the best we can do and have as much consciousness um, spreading and addressing the fear. And I think what we have to offer here as Dharma practitioners and lovers of consciousness uh, is something special that we have to offer to this whole question, addressing 
our love for the planet. And the more we can come, as has been said and how uh, uh, Malcolm so beautifully articulated, and I know uh, Joanna so beautifully articulates, um, the more we come from love and care and equanimity, as well as feeling all of our fear and all the emotions that come up, but not to lead from fear, to lead from love after we've processed all of our concern, the more magnetizing it is for, for everyone. Um, so I think our, our Dharma practice is key not only for ourselves, but for what we can contribute to the, the greater the greater question. And I wanted to share that um, this is something that for, um, for a while has come more from practitioners than from teachers. There is a few teachers that are, that are here today, particularly Wes and Donald and Mark and a number of teachers who have been uh, really concerned and, and articulating so beautifully their care and inspiring others. But many, many teachers are, uh, have been more focused on, um, on intensive practice and, uh, and we're in the middle of a shift right now. And I wanna share with you that, that shift that you can make a difference in. Our, um, uh, at Spirit Rock, we're going to have a, an international Vipassana teachers gathering in June, which we do every, three or four years, um, either in Gaia House or Insight Meditation Society or here. Uh, and it's coming up, and we're going to have it in, here in June. And uh, I, Mark and I and a couple of others, uh, Charter O'Gell um, and uh, Catherine McGee in, in England, are um, the organizers, and we, we, we get to um, help create the agenda. And uh, the uh, one of the main agenda items is going to be uh, our role in the coming years, particularly addressing climate change. The role of teachers, the role of our community, the role of the Dharma. Uh, what do we have to offer uh, as things start to become uh, more and more dicey? Um, and one of the, the things that we, we wanted to do that affects you or that involves you is that uh, there's a letter that was written up first in England by uh, Catherine and Chris and a couple of other people that is uh, now being spread among various sanghas. Catherine, has, Catherine McGee, who's a Gaia House teacher, has gone around to various sanghas with a, a ki- as a kind of you know the Magna Carta when the Magna Carta was uh, was was brought to the king in 1215 from all these different communities saying we want democracy. Uh, well, we're having different sanghas sign different uh, sign this letter, encouraging the teachers for guidance and teachings around uh, around this and taking a leadership role as is customary in the traditional teachings that. Um, you, the um, students or practitioners request teachings. If you've ever been to a, a monastic uh, retreat, you know that the, the, the student, one of the students says, please, can you share the Dharma? And when the students request, then the teachers respond. And so this is a request for teachers to um, not only reflect for themselves, but to bring some guidance and teachings uh, around this question. And uh, there is a, a letter, one copy of this letter, um, uh, on a big uh, blow-up, uh, as you just at the bottom of the steps, for you all to sign, and also to take home uh, to your, there's copies that you can take to your communities and friends, uh, either your formal sanghas or your dharma friends, um, petitioning, requesting for teaching and leadership on climate change. And I, I want to just read to you the letter so you have a sense of it. You don't have to block uh, while you're, everybody is reading it if there's online. Dear teachers, 
The scale of the challenge presented by climate change is perhaps unprecedented in human history. Already, it is a cause of immense destructive suffering to many species and ecosystems and to many of the poorest and most vulnerable people on the Earth. The world's most respected climate scientists are unanimous that we indeed live in a time of emergency in which urgent action is needed. We feel profoundly grateful for the teachings of the Buddha Dharma, and we believe that they have a great deal of wisdom to offer not only to Buddhist practitioners, but to wider society at this time of immense challenge. Spiritual and moral guidance is needed if we as a human society are to respond adequately and appropriately to this emergency. We are therefore writing to ask you for your leadership, guidance, and teaching as we seek to explore the relevance of the Buddha's teachings amidst the crisis that we face. Together, we need to find a wise, engaged, and active Buddhist response. We wish to encourage you to reflect deeply both as individuals and as a teacher body and to speak about this issue and give guidance. We hope that the forthcoming teacher meeting at Spirit Rock Meditation Center in June of 2013 will provide an opportunity for teachers to discuss this issue as a matter of priority and to begin to formulate wise collective responses on behalf of the global insight meditation community. As members of this community, we are ready to engage with you as you do this with thanks and appreciation for your sharing of the Buddhist teachings in a world that needs to hear them. And whatever your signature, you can write. If you want to write your own version of it or uh, share some your own thoughts, then uh, please feel free to do that. And we're going to present this to the teachers. We'll have thousands of signatures. Um, that's the idea for the teachers to say, oh, you know, you know, it's like uh, send, uh, hitting your, your send button to move on, you know, and hoping that your senators will get it. Well, I would like all the teachers to see how much this community cares our, and our greater community cares about addressing this. So I invite you to, to please um, take a look and, and sign it and take one home. And now uh, it gives me a, a great... Uh, pleasure to um, introduce to you uh, Bob Doppelt, um, who is a, a, an old friend. Uh, we first sat together in the 80s up at, at Brighton Bush. Uh, and uh, he's, besides being a longtime Dharma practitioner, he's one of the leading uh, voices that is making a difference in this issue. Um, he is the executive director for. Uh, the Resource Innovation Group, uh, that's it, in, um, in, which is based in Oregon. He's a, a teacher, on, uh, it's associated with Willamette College, and uh, he's a, um, on the faculty of University of Oregon. Uh, and he's also um, one of the um, organizers of uh, this group of collective called the National Climate Ethics Campaign, which is um, comprised of 135 organizations, 18 of which are working with the White House these days. And he and his group is actually coordinating uh, the, um, these meetings. He's going back and forth to Washington a lot uh, because um, the administration has it on their agenda as a priority in the agenda. However, with all the other priorities, it's slipping lower to the, the priority, but it's still on the priority list. And to, to craft a, a narrative for people, for our country and our population to see, oh, this is something that affects me. I want to be part of this. Uh, so, uh, it, it's it's not often that we have a Dharma practitioner that's making a difference in uh, where it counts. And uh, he wrote a book called From Me to We. It's a fabulous book. Unfortunately, the, the copies that were supposed to be here didn't arrive in time. But it is a book that I've given a, a series of talks on in, uh, in my Berkeley group uh, of five 
Dharma principles with the subtitle, The Five Transformational Commitments Required to Rescue the Planet, Your Organization, and Your Life. Um, about put in a very um, non-jargony accessible form for the general population of what's going to be needed to shift our consciousness and our action to make a difference in saving this planet and loving this planet for as long as we can. So I'd like to hand it over to Bob now to share his, uh, his philosophy and perspective on this. Well, thank you, James. Thank you. It's uh, wonderful to be here. I come here often for retreats, uh, and it's nice to uh, see all of you here on this uh, Earth Day, and especially an Earth Day focused on climate change, which in fact is uh, an extremely pressing issue that we all uh, are going to have to deal with, are already dealing with, and certainly our children and their children are going to be dealing with. This is going to be the issue that all future generations uh, have to adjust to. Um, and what I do for a living is I work with local, state, and federal government agencies and private organizations trying to help them uh, think about and learn about ways to uh, address these kind of complex social, ecological, and economic issues. Um, and in the work I've done, I kept trying to find a way, a simple framework to help uh, organizations and people uh, realize the kinds of changes they need to make in their thinking and behavior to really become or adopt a true path to sustainability. So the framework I'm gonna share with you today is really emerged out of, of many years of, of experience. And what's um, uh, sort of re was remarkable to me, it's one of those duh experiences. Uh, I've been practicing socially engaged Buddhism for 25 years uh, and not really connected it uh, to my work with, on sustainability and climate change issues till 10 years ago or something. And I realized the Dharma principles are in fact the principles that we need to use to make this shift. Uh, but that most people aren't really going to embrace the Dharma right off the bat, especially if it's in Buddhist language, Buddhist jargon. So what I've done is tried to put this into a mainstream framework, uh, a mainstream language that I want to share with you today. And I'm just going to go through it quickly because we don't have a lot of time. But I want to first start with a very simple way to think about the problem of climate change. And we're going to see if this PowerPoint works. Not yet. Um, is there something I should do? Well, you can imagine the next picture. Uh, <laughs> there it is. Uh, I can just ask you to change it, whatever. So this is a picture of what's called the blue marble. This was a picture, the very first picture of our home, the Earth, taken by the Apollo 17 astronauts in 1972. It's the first picture we ever had of us uh, sort of uh, hanging out there all in space. Now, I want everyone to take a very close look at this picture and see if you can find any intake valves that are allowing us to bring in extra resources if we contaminate the ones we have or use up all the ones we have. Anybody see any? Okay, none. Um, now look very closely for the, uh, uh, the, the pipes that uh, uh, it go away from the earth that allow us to get rid of our toxicity and pollution and waste, those sort of discharge pipes. Anybody see any there? No. The earth is a partially closed system, which means that we take in solar radiation and we reflect some of it back out into space. Some of it's captured in the mix of gases that surround the Earth, and that, uh, that the, the gases that are trapped uh, create the heat that make life possible here on Earth. And other than that intake and outtake of solar radiation and a few meteorites every now and then, the Earth is a closed system. Everything we make, everything we do stays right here in our biosphere or in our immediate atmosphere. And what climate change is about is we have actually created an anthropic breakdown, if you will, of the, of the systems we are part of uh, and created too, much, too many greenhouse gases 
that are building up in the immediate uh, atmosphere and warming the earth beyond uh, what uh, has, tr has existed for the last 10,000 years. But it's not just greenhouse gases. We have to also understand that we have also, through extensive forestry, converting uh, farm, uh, forest lands to agriculture, uh, uh, filling wetlands, et cetera, we have actually undermined or degraded nature's ability to sequester carbon also. So we have a source and a sink problem. But one way to think about the problem is always think about the blue marble. So every decision you make, every product you buy, every time you use energy, anytime you use a material, uh, every technology you support or policy you support, say, how does it affect this closed, semi-closed system that is the blue marble? Um, and I, I, James just said it very well. I think we are actually in a race for time now between the growth of consciousness, which is really the growth of awareness of our connectedness with others and the growth of the empathy and caring we're going to have to uh, demonstrate in order to address this issue and the growth of this entropic breakdown that's happening on the planet. And the question is, which is going to win out? Um, and I think uh, that we have no choice but to make sure that the growth in consciousness, the growth in empathy, the growth in uh, caring for other people and the natural systems that created them and support them and created us and support us win out. But that said, we're also in, in, in line for some very difficult times ahead. We're going to hit roughly two degrees Celsius, 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit from what we can tell. Question really is in terms of temperatures compared to pre-industrial levels, the question is can we keep it from going beyond that and into runaway climate change. So we've got some tough times ahead. And um, uh, I want to share a framework that I think can help you think about uh, a way to uh, 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 make this the shift in thinking and behavior and how you can also help others do the same thing. Uh, because I think it's really important that we move beyond ourselves. First, we have to start with ourselves, but then we have to move beyond ourselves and motivate other people that we work with, our families, the organizations, and ultimately the institutions of society that really are, are controlling things. Um, I'm going to suggest that, uh, uh, that there are five interrelated commitments that you can uh, think about uh, to make this shift to uh, increased empathy, increased caring uh, for other people and the systems they're part of. None of these commitments are new. Uh, the Buddha talked about them 2,500 years ago. Many other religious leaders have talked about them. And the physical and social scientists describe them today. But they haven't really been put into a framework that I think the average person can, can understand. Um, uh, and these are really important principles today uh, uh, because they're, uh, uh, they help us align our thinking behavior with what I call the natural laws of sustainability. That's my own term for uh, a set of universal truths that are going to be essential to follow. If we're going to learn how to interact with each other and the planet today, if we're going to make this transition uh, come through this very difficult time that lies ahead and come out the other end by managing <coughs> global warming. We're not going to eliminate it. The best we can do now is manage it uh, and then come out at, the, uh, at, a, at a much better place down the road. Um, I, I'm also going to emphasize commitments, which are vows. Uh, commitments reflect our sense of purpose, our values, and our priorities. And we're going to have to make uh, some very critical choices about what we're going to do and not do, uh, what we're going to as a society allow and not allow through laws and regulations in order to manage this issue. Um, and we expand our choices by altering our interpretations of the world, or as the Buddha said, uh, by seeing through the illusions that control our minds and seeing reality for what it is, being truthful about reality. And that's what I hope these commitments help us do. So I want to start by just having you, if you would, uh, for those willing, uh, just uh, relax into your body a bit. And uh, uh, if you want to close your eyes, you can. And um, just take a few deep breaths. And just relax 
let yourself settle in. Let go of any tensions that you might have and become aware of your breathing. As you know, focusing on our breath is a way to concentrate our minds. But it is actually much more than that. I invite you to pay attention to what's actually happening within your body as you take in that breath. You're inhaling carbon dioxide and oxygen. You're, excuse me, you're inhaling oxygen and thank you, and exhaling carbon dioxide. I'm ahead of myself. <laughs> Anybody who's inhaling carbon dioxide, raise your hand. Um, <laughs> um, it, most of us don't realize that it is the oxygen we breathe that actually creates the energy that allows us to live. Oxygize, uh, oxygen metabolizes the food and water that you eat and drink and turns it into energy. Uh, oxygen actually is the most important aspect of life. And if you don't believe me, let's all hold our breath for two or three minutes. We can live for a long time without food and water. We can't live very long without oxygen. Now think about it as you are aware of what's of, of the breath that you're taking and wonder and try to find out where this oxygen is coming from. What is the source of this oxygen that you're breathing that is allowing you to live right now? Well, about 75% of it is created through photosynthesis with uh, green cell and uh, green cells and, and uh, green algae and bacteria in marine environments. And the other 25% of the oxygen you're breathing in right now is created through the same process, photosynthesis in vegetation all around you. So complex interactions occurring in the oceans and in the estuaries and in vegetation are creating the oxygen that are allowing you to live right now. Just become aware of that. Try to trace in your mind and see if you can feel that oxygen coming in from these other sources and you're exhaling the CO2 that is absorbed by many of those same processes. And then try to ask yourself, how conscious are you of those processes? Every time you take a breath, do you give thanks to the oceans and the vegetation all around you? Of course, most of us don't. Uh, that's not something we normally do, but that is reality. This is how life on our planet actually functions. Uh, here is a fundamental truth. Nothing exists on its own on this planet. Everything is created by and sustained by other processes and organisms. This is a core Dharma principle and what in mainstream language I call the natural law of interdependence, which is the first and most important natural law of sustainability as I think about it. In Buddhism, we call this emptiness and dependent origination. Nothing is a solid entity in itself. All things are dependent on multiple causes and multiple conditions. Anatta or no self in Buddhism means that since all things change, our thoughts change, our feelings change, we're breathing oxygen in and it's going out, out as CO2, there is no such thing as a separate or a permanent self. We in fact are just mediums through which energy is concentrated for a short period of time through our lifetime and molecules of food and water and oxygen pass through, pass in and pass out. Can you become aware of that as you follow your breath, just how you're, pat you're entering and 
these molecules are entering and passing away, passing out of you. There is no permanent or separate me. And now if you would come back and notice your own pattern of breathing and become aware of your immediate surroundings and if you would like to open your eyes, come back to the room. The Buddha said we can give ourselves no greater gift than increasing our own awareness and no greater gift to another than increasing our own awareness. So give yourself thanks for increasing your awareness of uh, uh, how interconnected we are. If you are not constantly aware of the complex web of social and ecological systems that created you and sustained you, and create and sustain all other life on earth, you're likely to do more harm than good. Uh, said differently, if you're not constantly aware, trying to increase your awareness of the true context in which you exist, then we'll do more harm than good. So if we can hit actually the next two slides. Go on now. So the first law of natural, the natural law of sustainability is the law of interdependence. The Dharma principle is emptiness, independent origination, and the commitment then is to see the systems you're part of, uh, to try to always strive to see the context in which you exist by the systems you're part of. It's very hard to see all the systems that we're part of. We often have a hard time. We, it's hard to see the oceans creating the oxygen that we're breathing. Um, but they're actually tools that we, you can use to do this. Systems mapping. Uh, I, when I work with organizations, I actually have them map out their social system on a piece of paper. And map, when I work with students, I teach systems thinking to freshmen in college, and I have them actually map uh, their family system, the, the, their, their school system, and then the ecological systems they're part of, and the, and the economic system. So if you haven't used systems mapping, I would encourage you to try that. Uh, it's a very powerful tool, and it's what helps organizations truly understand the systems they're part of. Um, unfortunately, most people today don't think that way. Uh, we uh, have a culture of what I call extreme individualism that has grown over the years uh, through a lot of different reasons, and we, uh, we all believe that we are freestanding, independent entities. In fact, in my college, there's a whole school of economics that says, we are all freestanding entities that have no responsibility for anyone else. In fact, you should go out there and pursue your own economic self-interest without concern, and everything will magically turn out for the better. <laughs> now, a little experience and insight suggests that that isn't true, right? Uh, from the, the financial collapse in 2009, where the financial industry pursued its own economic self-interest without considering the economic system it was part of and collapsed the whole world economy, uh, to us here in the U.S. and in other parts of the West that have pursued our economic self-interest by burning massive amounts of fossil fuels and collapsed the climate system that we are intimately a part of. That way of thinking really doesn't work too well. Um, uh, we have confused self-centeredness with individual freedom. And consequently, we are all much less free. And all of our children are going to be much less free in the future, too, if we continue that path. This leads to the second natural law of sustainability, the law of cause and effect. Everything happens based on what emerged before it. And in today's overcrowded, overconsumed, uh, overheating and super connected world. Everything we do now will create the conditions for what will be possible in the future. Um, uh, this, of course, is the Buddhist, the Buddhist principle of uh, karma. What we do matters. Um, your actions have consequences. Everything has causes and conditions. Uh, and the more you go deeper into this, the better off you're going to be and your awareness grows. Um, and the commitment there is to try to account for all of the consequences of your actions. Now, of course, just like seeing systems, it's very hard to account for all the consequences of your actions. We don't know often. 
Um, uh, and sometimes there's unintended consequences we couldn't predict. But there are tools you can use. There's anybody ever used a fishbone diagram? You, uh, it's a little thing, and I have students do this also. You, you put the problem or this, the action you're about to take at the end of a, looks like the head of a fish, and it looks like the skeleton of a fish, and you move backwards. You say you outline all the possible consequences that might happen by taking that step. Sort of simple tools to help us just expand our awareness of that. Um, uh, and uh, it's never going to be possible to understand all of the consequences of our actions. Um, but as the Buddha said, uh, the real key is to increase our awareness. Always try to increase our awareness. So this is really about right intention and right thought. Uh, it's about becoming aware that we have choices uh, and that if we really want to manage, reduce climate change to manageable levels, um, we really have to make uh, different choices and that, that starts by first understanding the systems we're part of and then trying to be very conscious of what our, our impacts mean for those systems. Of course, that's why we practice meditation, right? To increase uh, our, our awareness uh, and clear our minds. I'd like you to now take a journey with me, okay? Uh, I want you all to imagine that a genie has swept you away from your everyday job or your, your house or whatever you do for a living or whatever you do for your time and made you the most powerful decision maker on earth. Okay, just play along with me. All right. At your fingertips is any information you want to make any decision you want and whatever you decide is going to happen. Okay. Now, actually, a lot of you in here would be a good thing if you were the most powerful decision maker on earth, but play along with me. But there is a catch. Okay. This genie has given you a unique form of amnesia. You can't remember what your name is, where you live, who your family is, what your nationality is, what your religious status is, or your financial status. You don't remember anything about yourself. All you know now is whatever you decide is what's going to happen. Okay? Now, how would you make decisions under that circumstance? Anybody have suggestions? Back. What's happening right at the moment? Be here now. I would consult the wisest people I knew. Okay. Consult the wise people. Do we have any memory of what we already know or knew? Uh, no memory, because we don't know who we are. Anybody else? Well, you'd want to help everyone. Want to help everyone. Okay. I think, is it one more? Go ahead. Right. So you don't know the consequences. So how would you make decisions? It also speaks to one's values. So okay. The cultivation of the value is in the moment. Okay. One more. So yeah. Use the seventh generation principle. Use the seventh generation principle. Good. I think all those are sort of getting at the core of it. Uh, and that is, I think you would adopt uh, some decision-making model that's uh, similar to the age-old moral rule called do unto others as you would have them do on to you, the golden rule, because those, other, those others might be you, right? You don't know who you are. And what I describe sounds completely far-fetched, right? It's never going to happen. But I what I just describe is actually more or less the condition we live in today, okay? Those of us here in California and in, in the West are emitting greenhouse gas emissions that are affecting people in China and India and all over the world, and they don't know we've decided to drive our car here today and made that decision, but it's going to affect them. And vice versa, they're doing the same thing, right? Um, we have globalized environmental problems, never before seen on Earth to have these kind of global issues like climate change, like ocean acidification, like the breakdown of the biosphere. Uh, and so each of us now is making decisions that affect everyone else. And we're living in a very different era, even than we lived in 30 and 40 years ago. And because of that, we're going to have to think and act differently. And it starts with first understanding the systems we're part of and the consequences of those systems, of our actions on those systems. Then we have to decide how we're going to respond. And I, I think the first response, next slide, is 
to adopt a clear moral principle the, uh, based on the natural law that I call moral justice. Um, in Buddhist terms, this is sila, moral conduct, uh, which in Buddhism is uh, uh, the foundation of a peaceful life. It really means that we have to adopt the moral principle, the starting principle, to do no harm. Every religion that I looked at uh, when I was uh, developing this model uh, on earth begins with the belief that we, uh, we must do no harm. Even if you can't do good, try not to do harm. Uh, and that's the first starting point. Uh, and so uh, the, the commitment is to adopt the universal moral principle to do no harm. Um, and uh, this is about trying to constrain our aggressive and uh, 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 harmful activities that we engage in. Uh, again, it's not always uh, impossible to know all the different aspects of what we do and how it might harm others, but we really need to focus our and raise our uh, awareness of it as much as we can. Um, so reflect for just a moment. How often are, do you strive and uh, to do no harm? How often are you aware of that moral principle as a driver for your life? Sometimes... Never, often, we'll come back to this in a second, but just become aware of, do you have a core moral principle of doing no harm? Now I want you to play along with me again for just a second and go back to that first picture I showed, we showed on the PowerPoint of the blue marble. Um, the acceleration of the population has led to an acceleration of economic activity that's led to an acceleration of uh, energy use uh, around the world uh, and material use and basically climate change is a result of a massive throughput of energy and materials through our economy. Uh, and because energy that's used only breaks down and disperses, that's what created climate change. Uh, and so what many scientists are now saying is that, you know, this massive increase of human impacts on the planet, on the blue marble, uh, have actually put us into a very new geological era. The first time ever where human activities will determine future life on Earth, not natural processes. Of course, natural processes will interact with that. It's called the Anthropocene. Uh, and climate scientists and others are now talking about that. Have you heard that term before, the Anthropocene? Uh, they're saying, we're, we're in a different era now, forever. First time ever. Uh, and... That means that what we determine, what we do, what we decide, and the actions we take, the technologies we, we adopt, the policies we adopt, will determine future life on Earth. What lives, what doesn't, and where they live and what doesn't, how things shape up differently. Uh, and it is a universal moral axiom that the more power you have over another, the more responsibility you have to use that power benevolently. And that means that we are now trustees. Uh, and that's the fourth natural law of sustainability that I've talked about, the law of trusteeship. Uh, and this is actually about Karuna having compassion and, com uh, uh, and taking care of all living organisms, mudita, taking joy in others rather than just being concerned about ourselves, uh, and not attachment. Trusteeship means that each of us here is just on earth for a very short period of time. No one in this room will be here a hundred years from now. So that means we're only uh, temporarily managing or responsible for the resources we have. We're just temporary trustees. And we have a responsibility now because what we decide as a trustee will determine what life on earth exist 50, 100, 150 years from now, and where it will exist, we have a responsibility to manage that very, very carefully. Um, and so the fourth commitment is to adopt your trustee obligations and do good for all life. The first principle, moral justice, is about trying to do no harm. But now, because climate change is so serious uh, and other impacts are so serious, we also have to do good. 
And there's different tools and strategies developing for each one of those different principles. Uh, most of the organizations I work with, businesses and, and governments, are trying to reduce their environmental impacts, that is, do less harm. But we also need to flip it around and do good. Uh, there's fields that you might know of called uh, bio, biomimicry, where we're trying to create new products and services to mimic nature. There's green chemistry using natural processes rather than synthetic chemicals, et cetera. We actually have to restore the earth. We can't just reduce the harm we're doing to it. And that's the difference to, between the two. Um, uh, and the final principle I'd like to talk about is uh, uh, the, the principle of free will, the natural law of free will. The Buddha said all often that as we increase our awareness, we become aware that we have, we're free at any time to make different choices. But it requires more awareness and more understanding. Uh, and the Dharma principle with free will is pana, the wisdom that leads us out of the suffering. And that wisdom is increased awareness and increased mindfulness of all uh, of our actions, of the systems we're part of, of uh, how we impact those systems and adopting uh, an ethical way of life uh, and understanding that we are trustees. Um, and that is the last principle to choose your own destiny. We do not have to continue down the path that we have continued down the last 50 to 100 years. In fact, I will say that Throughout history, societies have made fundamentally different changes that are driven by different ways of thinking and seeing the world many, many times. We don't realize it, but that has happened. And every time they've made a fundamental change, most people have ended up much better off. And I think as we grow our consciousness, uh, and maybe this framework can help you and others do that, we will all end up much better off. If we have two more minutes, what I'd like to do is have each of you think just for a second about how often you follow this, the, uh, uh, find, find yourself following this commitment or basically following this, these Dharma principles. Uh, and then turn to a partner and just talk for a second about what you discovered. Okay, so evaluate yourself as to how, how well you're doing, how much you uh, are aware of and try to stay focused on the Dharma principle. And just for a very short period of time, just share that with a partner and talk about it. Okay, so we'll just take two minutes to do this. Go ahead. Does anybody want to share anything that uh, popped up to them as they had this conversation? Anything that became particularly, and I apologize for the short duration of the conversation. I would encourage you to encourage to continue that afterwards for as long as you can. Um, anything that anybody wants to share? Go ahead. Absolutely. The, the, the point is that it's hard to make the, the right choices or good choices today because of the structure of the systems we're part of. I think we all feel that. Um, but the, this is not about being perfect. Um, this is about continuing to expand our awareness. And as more people expand our awareness, their, their awareness, we will be great the political will to change those practices. Uh, so it's really about, again, increased mindfulness, uh, and then encouraging others uh, to take the same steps forward. Back in the back. Yeah. So the point. Yeah. The 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 point. The I think the comment was that we we often get stuck on just thinking about cause and effect and don't realize think about the systems we're part of and the moral uh, uh, principles we need to adopt and moral justice that needs to guide our thinking and behavior and also trusteeship. I think you're right. And that's why I use this framework now with uh, public and private organizations and nonprofits of all kind. And actually, I find a very, very positive uh, result. Um, we're even using it, we, as, as James said, we, uh, I've been a part of a, a team and have been coordinating a group that's been working with the administration 
and others to try to uh, encourage the administration to actually, what, what the president announced was to create a conversation with Americans about climate change. Um, I'm actually optimistic that something significant is going to happen. Uh, they've sort of gotten overwhelmed now with uh, uh, the gun debate and health care and immigration and some other sorts of things. So finding the political space for them to, to, to act has is is been one of our challenges. And the structure of the system in which this the White House works is also very difficult to work within. Um, uh, and there are some, I think, uh, other issues within the administration itself. But I'm optimistic that we will see this administration more than any other, uh, for sure, take some very, very positive steps. And it really is about helping them and others expand their awareness besides just thinking about some very narrow issues. One or two more comments. Go ahead. All right. So the, the point was not to get caught up in self-judgment. Uh, you're absolutely right. The more you become aware of the consequences of your actions, the more you can sort of be uh, humbled, right, and feel, oh, my gosh, I'm doing all these wrong things. But again, you have to first realize the systems you're part of. You live in this society. Uh, and then constantly grow your awareness and realize that you have a choice. And the more choices you make, the better off uh, you're going to be. And sometimes you make a choice and, it, and you think, well, it's, it's not the best one I could have made. It, it might have a serious impact. That's the only thing I could do. But as long as you're aware of it, next time you can make a different choice. Or, and as I said, as other people begin to think the same way, we can create the social change necessary to really change the structures of those systems. So don't feel bad. This is just the structure of the systems we're working in. But keep, keep growing your awareness. Mm -hmm. And uh, we... we we need to end. I just want to uh, first thank you, Bob, for uh, for coming and sharing and all the work that you're doing, um, making a difference. And uh, remember the um, the letter to the teachers uh, and all, uh, to to help us be encouraged and motivated to to make a difference. Uh, there's somebody who's doing some uh, videoing uh, of if you want to make some comments during lunch hour. Uh, James George is going to be uh, uh, just uh, getting some comments, and we can also he he. Uh, is a journalist for EnviroBeats that uh, puts stuff up on the web for people who are caring. And it would be great to hear from our Dharma community. And I just want to leave you with this quote from uh, John Seed, who Joanna teaches uh, a lot with, uh, a very inspiring environmental, deep ecology um, uh, being. He says, uh, well, you might think there's nothing on the horizon that can help us. And you might wonder, well, what kind of miracle would be needed to make a difference? Well, it would be a very simple one, really. All that it would need would be for human beings to wake up one day different than they were the day before and realize that this is the end unless we make these changes and then deciding to make the change. That doesn't seem like a very likely thing to happen, but on the other hand, the whole road that we've traveled is so littered with miracles that it's only our strange kind of modern psyche that refuses to see it. I mean, the miracle of being descended from a fish that chose to leave the water and walk on the land. Well, anyone with a pedigree like that, you can't lose hope. So, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.